Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we will be discussing Solo, a Star Wars story. This is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. We have been waiting and hearing about this movie for gosh probably about five years now it was announced back in 2013 yeah about uh mm, man this this is also one of the more controversial star wars movies that have come out uh at least before it came out i mean i know that much it yeah we've been waiting quite a while for this i remember they announced it mm, yeah 20, 2015 and then uh there was some speculation that maybe there'd be a boba fett movie that comes with it uh whatever there's a lot of stuff uh, surrounding this movie in terms of production, which is interesting. This is a part of the brand new spin-off series that is not a part of the episodic movies featuring the Skywalker family. That is why it is called a Star Wars story. The right. other one was Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which came out probably about two years ago now and we did a review for that you can go check that out we were actually in person so we did a video uh spoiler filled review and of course a spoiler free review if you still haven't seen it right anyways uh this is like i said a star wars story so and this like alan said is controversial because harrison ford is iconic he is legendary han solo is a legendary character especially portrayed by harrison ford so anybody stepping into those shoes honestly it'll make or break your career probably right well not just that too but we also had uh there was a number of uh they fired the directors uh once they finished filming or most the way through filming the filming process and then they got new directors and we also got word that they had hired an acting coach for uh the han so for han solo um because they weren't satisfied with his performance this uh even though an acting coach is pretty typical for a movie to have uh, this scared some of the Star Wars fans because hearing the news that they had fired the director, Kathleen Kennedy had fired them over uh, creative differences and got Ron Howard on the project. Uh, and then ha- having the acting coach, usually that isn't something that makes pretty big news, but I guess this time somehow, for some reason, it did. And so, yeah, some Star Wars fans are like, ah. So, and then the trailer came out and they were even a bit more skeptical, but. I think that there was always this uh, this thought that maybe it'll be okay. You know, it's it's Disney behind it, uh, and it's Star Wars, so they usually aren't going to try and do something that'll you know mess up mess with the fans at all. Yes, originally Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did the Lego Movie, which was incredibly popular, and they also did Twenty One Jump Street, and I'm pretty sure Cloudy with the Chains of Meatballs, kind of all over the place with their what they've done. They were hired to do this solo movie and they did shoot a bunch of the movie but there were concerns from alden ehrreich who does play han solo in this movie and other factors that eventually led to kathleen kennedy firing them because apparently they were making this movie into a comedy they were greatly differing from the lucasfilm disney vision 
it was kind of all over the place and that really worried Kennedy. So yeah, they got fired. I remember that was crazy news. They were fired, I believe, January 2017. So it's been about a year and a half. And they did hire Ron Howard, who is friends with George Lucas. He was originally in George Lucas's, one of his first films, American Graffiti. Ron Howard is a tried and true film director and actor. So that that made me feel better knowing Ron Howard was coming on to this project. Honestly, I was really intrigued with Phil Lord and Chris Miller because they're fresh talent and they've done a lot of things. I've enjoyed pretty much everything they've done. Yeah. So Ron Howard coming on to the project did give me more reassurance that this would have more of a probably a more classic feel because that's normally the movies he has done more so Academy Oscar-y type movies, if that makes sense. Right. And here's something kind of funny is that typically, uh, according to the Directors Guild, um, to get your name on the, the director's credit, you have to do so much of pre-production. Uh, no, no, you have, to be, you have to do so much of the actual production of the movie, whether it be filming and stuff like that. And if you're going to put on a new director, they can't be... Uh, associated with the pre-production stage. So that's what I got, Ron Howard. They would have had uh, Lawrence uh, Kasdan. He would've, they would have had him come on and direct, and he almost did, uh, and that's part of the reason why they didn't like Ron Howard is because he, it was conflicting with the script or whatever. They would have had him or Joe Johnston come on, but since they were a part of the pre-production, uh, and according to Directors Guild, you can't do that. So they had Ron Howard come in, and, as they st- and now... Still, this doesn't mean that he's going to get the directing credit, but because he said that he had to do reshoots for 70% of the movie, that got him the director's credit. Because you had to do, once you come on as the director, you have to do so much for the movie in order to get that directing credit. And that's what Ron Howard did, is he ended up doing 70%. I've also heard rumors of 80%. Uh, basically reshooting and redoing a bunch of the movie. And even that itself was also kind of uh, alarming because that's a lot of movie to redo after uh, you've already had two directors be fired from this job. So that's how he got the director's credit. Uh, but the two old directors, Lord and Miller, did get an executive producer credit, which is also, once again, part of the rules of the uh, of the Directors Guild. That is true. And this movie was originally being written by Lawrence Kasdan all the way back in 2012, when George Lucas still owned the rights to the Star Wars franchise. Right. Lucas had an idea of developing a young Han Solo film, but of course with the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney, this got put on the back burner because they wanted to develop the episodic films, but then they also still wanted to do this as well. And Lawrence Kasdan, who did write Star Wars Episode Five, and he just also wrote... Episode 7, The Force Awakens, he did bring his son on as well. That's why father and son wrote this together. Right. To come on and kind of write this movie, and then they came back and did some more stuff. And I think also where the problems came in was Phil Lord and Chris Miller were really going off. They were going off script from what the Kasdans had written. Right. And to me, it's just like you don't do that, especially when it's Lawrence Kasdan who was writing episode – or he had written episode 5 – and episode seven it's just that's just not a smart idea right to be fair though uh direct the writer isn't always as tied to the project um as the director is so there have been times where yes you have the writer who wrote the script but the director will interpret that a different way 
But because this is Star Wars and Kazdan being such a big name, you know, he did, like you said, episode five, six, Raiders of the Lost Ark, did a bunch of classic movies and episode seven. Uh, he was tighter. He was tighter on the script than maybe what is usually what happens. So, yeah, those creative differences kind of got in the way of uh, some of the filming in this in, in this part. The film stars Alden Ehrenreich, Junas Suatomo, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, Fandy Newton, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Paul Bettany, John Favreau, Aaron Kellyman, and Clint Howard. And there is a couple people that I haven't mentioned, but I'm going to save that for later. No spoilers <laughs> yet. The music yeah. is not the music is not done by John Williams. It is done by John Powell, but there are many themes that John Williams wrote for the Star Wars films that are used in this movie. He actually did compose the Han Solo theme. Uh, if you look under the like track list for the score, he is credited as uh, he wrote "The Adventures of Han" for Han is what it's called. That's the track name. He actually did score that and compose that, and he did a couple other little things here and there. Uh, but for the most part, it's John Powell. Uh, have you heard of John Powell at all? Because I have. I don't believe so. Maybe if you tell me some things, then I might be more familiar. Yes. So John Powell is, he is a, I actually really do like his com- composition style. He did The Born Identity, Try to Turn a Dragon, Rio, Shrek, Just Name a Few, uh, Kung Fu Panda, uh, a lot I think of two with, with Hans Zimmer, bunch of movies, bunch a lot of kids movies as well. That's John Powell. Interesting. Yeah. Well, currently, Solo just came out. We are reviewing it the weekend of its release. Currently, it's holding at a 7.1, and that is just 0.1 lower than Star Wars uh, The Last Jedi. Yeah. uh, Once again, um, this is, like we said, when this actually came out, I saw the score tank to like a a 6.5. Uh, at first, and I was like, "Oh no! Like, is it is it not is it is that bad?" Because I had heard just you know all of the all of the little details that he went into making the production and how how sketchy it kind of was uh, with all this stuff happening. So yeah, at first, I'm, I'm sure the score will continue to rise. That's just how it goes. Uh, because I saw it rise 0.6 points uh, in like in the last 24 hours. So I'm sure it'll rise. But yeah, pretty. Pretty low for a Star Wars movie. Um, although, to be fair, Rogue One has a 7.8. So, maybe, because that sort of pretty low as well, but maybe it'll go up and be more respectable uh, comparative to the other Star Wars movies. I am intrigued to see where this movie goes because I had heard reports, well, probably at the beginning of the year, that Disney was kind of just giving this movie up as a loss because of all the reshoots, uh, directorial changes. Normally, when this happens with a movie, the end product is not very cohesive. There's usually a lot of issues with it, and it kind of, especially once that gets out, a lot of people lose trust in it. I know with Rogue One that they had to bring in the director, um, I think, I think Sam Mendes, don't quote me on that because I would need to look into that uh, some more. But yeah, I do know for certain they did bring him back to shoot a lot of the stuff because I believe it was Gareth Edwards who 
directed Rogue One. Yes, that's, and that's correct. He was, I think he was fairly new to the big screen. He had done, I'm pretty sure he did Godzilla. I'm operating off of memory here. But regardless, the moral of the story is Rogue One did have a bigger name director, more of a veteran director, come back in and do some more reshoots. And that's obvious from what we got with the trailer. And there is some in the trailer we'll talk about that doesn't really make it in the movie, some plot points. But anyway, Cinema Score, the audiences, now Cinema Score is what the audience gave this movie. So audiences who went to go see this movie, they came out of it and collectively they gave this movie an A minus. It's not terrible. I mean, it's not too bad at all. No, it's not. Uh, the budget for this movie is supposedly $250 million. I guess I can see that. I mean, it is Disney and they had to do a bunch of reshoots. Big. Perhaps it went over budget. I, that, although I have no sources confirming that, I have no idea. I this is not a confirmed budget, but it's just estimated to be that much. The domestic box office so far, we really can't say because, like I said, we're recording this during the weekend. So far, it's at thirty-five million foreign, eleven for a worldwide total of forty-seven million. So far, uh, the estimates. Uh, the Disney was hoping this movie would be higher i'm guessing of course it'll come in at number one at the box office and the disney is estimating its gross to be uh for the three-day weekend 93 million to 95 million and this is memorial day weekend so for the full weekend they're guessing it to be around 108 to 115 million and Rogue One had an opening weekend of $155 million, with a total gross of $1 billion. Right. So, yeah, maybe... I, I have no doubt that it's going to make its money back. I don't think this is really going to be that big of a flop. Uh, because currently there isn't much out. I mean, Deadpool 2, sure. But, I mean, that came out, what, I think two weeks ago? And yeah. either way, it's rated R. So, and this is definitely a family picture. So, right. it's going to make tons more money uh even though even though it may be something that audiences may not want even I mean, that care to see or or uh there's nothing else in the theater which i think is a more safe bet uh i mean like i said deadpool 2 uh show dogs um oh. those are the two that have been released most recently i mean in infinity war yeah well that one was released about a month ago though so that one is still in the theaters, but because this is a new movie, it's going to get more attention than Infinity War. It's also interesting because Disney has had a pattern of... This is the fourth film to come out since Disney took over Star Wars. But this is the first Star Wars movie of the four to come out in the summer. Usually it's always come out in December, and that's been really right. big for Disney because right. they've had huge box office numbers. So I'm wondering if Disney will now question whether they should do Star Wars movies in the summer or not. And it's only been five months since the last Star Wars film. We have never gotten a Star Wars film this close together ever before. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I do know that Rogue One was planned to be released in the summer, but because of something like there was a production issue, they had to scoot it back to December. Uh, but it was originally planned. I think Force Awakens may have been that same... In that same camp, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, anyways, yeah, so at least one of the movies I know for sure had to be scooted back. It was planned originally, though, to be released in the summer. 
Uh, yeah, maybe. I do know that they were planning, at least from now on, to just kind of keep the side, the anthology movies for the summer and like the uh, the main storyline in the, the winter and the end of at the end of uh, the year in December. So we'll see. I don't know. It's yeah, it is interesting, though, that we had a Star Wars movie come out. Uh, yeah, five months after the last one. Uh, so that's interesting. My guess is this movie will, of course, gross over $500 million, probably get close to a billion, but I don't think it'll get there. And I think Disney will probably be more reserved now about who they hire to direct these movies and more cautious about marketing. And I have a feeling this will probably end up being the lowest grossing, well, okay, I'm not counting that animated clone wars theatrical movie when i'm talking about oh yeah i mean oh wait sorry you mean the one that was what three episodes and then they put it into a movie for an hour and a half feature yeah i remember that let down yeah no one went to see that that was a flop but i mean i mean you kind of get what you pay for so right Okay, not not including that, I'm thinking this of the live action, I should say. Yeah. This okay. will probably be the lowest grossing live action Star Wars movie. I could be wrong. Honestly, I would like to be proven wrong. I, I don't want this movie to be the lowest grossing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it really could go both ways. Uh, I guess we'll see. After spoilers for Force Awakens, by the way. Uh, after what happened in Force Awakens when Han died, uh, sounds like Disney is not really ready to give up the character just yet. Which, I mean, oh, no. for many fans, that may be something that they want to see. They want to see more of Han Solo because he is a big name in Star Wars, obviously, before right. he, they throw in the towel and that's it. But I have a oh, feeling absolutely. that this isn't... I have a feeling that we're also going to get uh, maybe even a Luke... Anthology and a Leia the Anthology movie. We'll see. Uh, who knows what will happen from here on out. But yeah, I think definitely that Disney is kind of riding on nostalgia and the fans. They want to see more of this beloved character before they give like his last hurrah. If that this is it, but I, I highly doubt that it is because uh, they. I've heard rumors that they have plans for Ho- Solo to be in different more pictures. Oh, you're absolutely right. There are, regardless of what this movie grosses, this will not be the end for Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. I guess we're going to get at least two to three more sequels and maybe he'll show up in some other movie. I'm going to save those thoughts for the end though, yeah. because I do have some thoughts on where they're going to go with this and probably up the ante. And uh, the trailer for this movie... I thought it was exciting. It was fun. I didn't think it was incredible. I wasn't really pumped up to see this movie. I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to go see it. I'm not going in with really any expectations at all. I've heard uh, from the trailers, it, it looks pretty action-packed, but then I've heard some bad things, but I trust Ron Howard and I trust some of these actors in here because they are Oscar-nominated worthy actors. Uh, it is a little different though, because in the trailer, Woody Harrelson approaches Solo's character. He says he heard about a gangster and was putting together a crew, asks Solo if he's in. This is clearly totally different and they changed it for the movie. Right. Yeah. This trailer, it, it is good. I'll, I'll say that, but it kind of makes, yeah, like you said, it kind of moves the film into a little bit of a different direction than, what, than where it actually goes. Um, for all we know, 
maybe this was a because okay it is interesting though because this trailer people are getting kind of worried that you know we're a few months out from solo and there's no trailer at all uh this does this was released pretty pretty late uh before it was the before the movie came out and people, i know that was another thing that got fans just worried regardless of the fact i think it is a, a pretty good trailer for the most part but yeah there are a couple of things i think they just did this to kind of keep the confusion down because uh come to find out later in the movie it's a little bit different uh how this all got started so maybe they did that just to kind of streamline it i don't really know yeah this trailer is pretty good for the most part um it feels kind of has that same feeling as the movie it feels a bit more like maybe what lord and miller would have done uh, but obviously that's not what happened because this came out way later after they were uh, taken out of pro- taken off the project. So, oh, something funny is I thought throughout this whole movie that K three was played by Tilda Swinton, and I was uh, completely wrong. Really? I guess I could I, see that. I really thought that was Tilda Swinton. I can see that you would think that, but I never got that notion. Oh. Also, I did want to mention that Warwick Davis is in this movie. Who is that? Warwick Davis. He plays Weasel in this movie. You see him once. He has appeared in the most recent, uh, all of the most recent Star Wars films. Well, no, okay. Every Star Wars, he he first appeared in Episode One, and then he has appeared in every Star Wars film since. Oh, he is okay. uh, uh, closely tied with Lucasfilm. He was the titular character Willow. In George Lucas's film Willow, which also starred uh, Val Kilmer, uh, I enjoyed Willow as a kid. Watched it all the time. Seen it about twenty times. So check it out. Just wanted to mention Warwick. He's awesome. Ah, uh, yes, I do remember seeing this guy in all the Star Wars movies. That's funny. I never really thought too much about it. I just thought it was just some random character. But now I have a name to a face, and that he's actually in more than I thought he was. So we are about to spoil Solo, a Star Wars story. So if you have not seen this movie and you don't want it spoiled, then go to the description below and click on the link for the spoiler-free review. I just did a short video review on YouTube where you can hear uh, my thoughts without any spoilers and just know what I think about the movie. But once you do see Solo, come on back and hit play, and we'll be here ready to talk about it with you. Young Han is an orphan living on the grimy streets of Corellia, working for the massive centipede creature Lady Proxima, voiced by Linda Hunt. Han, along with love interest Kira, who is played by Amelia Clark, bribe their way off the planet, but Kira is captured, thereby separating the two. Immediately, Han joins the Imperial Academy, thinking this is his only way to make enough money to come back to Corellia and rescue Kira. When asked for a surname, he cannot provide one, since he has no family. Therefore, the Imperial officer dubs him Han Solo. Three years later, Han finds himself as an infantry fighting for the Empire in the middle of a war, when he meets Tobias Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson, Val, played by... Thandy and Rio Durant, played by John Favreau. He asks the he asks to stow away with them and earn enough money to go back to Corellia. Beckett sells him out, and Han is dumped into a muddy pit to be eaten by a beast. That beast just so happens to be Chewbacca, who is now played by a new actor, uh, Junus. His name is 
Junus Suatomo. I can honestly say I didn't notice that it was a different actor. It's impossible to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly, Han uses his limited Wookiee language to convince Chewie not to eat him, but instead free the both of them and get out of there with the crew. Thankfully, Beckett's crew takes them in. The task is to steal the hyperfuel coaxium from an elevated train on the snowy planet Vandor. The plan goes awry when the crew encounter their nemesis, Infus Nest, who also wants the hyperfuel. Ultimately, Rio and Val die, and those remaining escape empty-handed. Beckett reveals the hyperfuel wasn't for them. In fact, they were hired by the crime syndicate Crimson Dawn, headed by Dryden Voss, who's played by Paul Bettany, to steal the fuel for him. They meet the unstable Voss on his ship, where he plans to murder them for their insolence when they are saved by none other than Kira. Kira has escaped Corellia and is now Voss's right-hand woman. Voss commands Kira to join Han, Chewie, and Beckett to steal hyperfuel from the mines of Kessel, but they'll need a fast ship. Kira knows of a man who has the fastest ship in the galaxy. The man is none other than Lando Calrissian, played by Donald Glover who owns the Millennium Falcon. Han challenges Lando to a game of Sabacc, when the, with the winner receiving the Falcon. While Han is on a winning streak, Lando ultimately cheats to keep his pride in the Falcon. On his way to the bar, Lando runs into Kira and Beckett, who convince him to help them, and they'll give him a cut of the profits. Once on Kessel, they successfully steal the Coaxium, but are greeted by an Imperial blockade while leaving the planet. With the pilots of the Falcon, Lando and his robot L3, voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, incapacitated, Han must head into the Kessel Maelstrom to make it to the to make it to the hyperfuel refinery before the fuel blows up from being unstable. The only problem is this path spells certain death, and they encounter a massive creature that tries to destroy their ship. Han proves he is the best pilot in the galaxy by making the Kessel run in less than twelve parsecs, which Lando states no one has done in less than twenty. Safely back on a planet that will refine the coaxium, they are about to hand off the fuel when Nest reappears, revealing herself to be nothing more than a young girl, and the rest of her clan are in fact on the side of the pre-rebellion. Beckett leaves for Tatooine, and Han and the group give Beckett the coaxium, but Beckett believes it to be a fake because Beckett has actually sold them out. In fact, the coaxium is real. Voss sent his guards to retrieve the coaxium from Nest, but they find the boxes empty and Voss unprotected. Han, with the help of Kira, defeats Voss while Beckett escapes with the fuel and Chewbacca as his hostage. Han runs to rescue Chewie and shoots Beckett first, therefore saving Chewbacca. Meanwhile, Kira is supposed to be getting diamonds and the ship ready to run off with Han to live a comfortable life, but she is contacted by the real puppet master. Maul. Yes, the Darth Maul, who is in fact the one controlling Crimson Dawn and wanting the hyperfuel for his nefarious plans. Kira flies away to meet up with Maul on his home world of Dothamir. As Solo gives an understanding look as her ship flies away, Han is asked to join the newly forming rebellion, but declines. Later on, he meets up with Lando, challenging him to a rematch of Sabacc. But this time he ensures Lando can't cheat. Han bests Lando, therefore winning the Millennium Falcon as credits roll. So I have a question. Did Rogue One begin with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? I can't exactly remember. 
Yes, it okay. did. And so did this one. And then we got some really ugly font for Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, basically... <laughs> the, okay, so... Basically, uh, this has its own text crawl, uh, but it's not really a text crawl. It just kind of gives you all the synopsis of like this axiom and uh, Crimson Dawn. Basically, it's a it's a it's a text crawl, but not really a text crawl. Just like every other Star Wars uh, main storyline movie. Well, it was a smarter move because Rogue One. I felt like they had no idea what to do. They kind of messed it up a little bit. And this one was right because it looked like it was still kind of using the same font and color scheme of a long time ago. Yeah, it was. And was still playing with fan expectations because uh, my girlfriend leaned over to me because she was expecting, you know, it to say solo with the loud Star Wars triumphal music and then something else. But that didn't happen. And she leaned over and said, oh, that's not what I was expecting. And they do give that text, which I think is a, does a decent job of setting up what you're going to see in the movie and i i didn't really think about it at all but that's basically the entire premise of the movie is getting this hyperfuel coaxium i thought it was only going to pertain to maybe the first act but it pertains to the entirety of the movie right uh, personally i think we probably could have done without the text crawl i think the movie kind of serves itself as to what exactly coaxium is and what right. they need it for things like that they probably could have done without it although some fans may enjoy it yeah it's basically its own text crawl uh these anthology movies they don't begin uh the same way the, the main storyline movies do they do it on purpose to show, to show that they, they are different because every service movie begins with a text crawl and then a pan down from space that's just how it is that's right. just like one of the traditional things that they've always done uh these anthology movies with rogue one do they kind of just jump right into it and then this one they give you some backstory with this text and then then we get into it uh onto a planet where they create uh star destroyers so yeah i think i like this a bit better than rogue one you're right they kind of just jump into it they didn't exactly know where they were going to go with the opening so they kind of just there you go uh i like this a a little bit better but like i said i think they probably could have done without this text and summary of backstory uh to get us in i feel like they could have explained that in the movie and it really not have done much of anything to help with that it's a really straightforward simple plot oh yeah yeah it is i mean incredibly basic and that's i'm not gonna say that's a bad thing because we've seen the opposite end where the plot is impossible to follow and sometimes the script writers get confused and they're like we have no idea what we've done this is basically what happened with humphrey bogart's movie the big sleep eventually they didn't know what the MacGuffin meant anymore yeah <laughs> they yeah. just completely lost it uh still a great movie by yeah, the way it's good it's good it's good very good anyways i think this was the right move making this plot fairly straightforward and i felt how the characters were introduced and came together was organic and i was pleased with that at times, uh, I think the way that they, he meets uh, Woody Harrelson's character and that little crew, I think that's I think that works pretty pretty well. Uh, I'm wasn't a big fan later on when Kira, uh, when Bossman is just like, "Hey, Kira, you go with them." Uh, for that was just kind of con- for convenience sake, but regardless, uh, regardless, yeah, I mean, all the characters here. This plot is pretty basic. At one point. 
they even spell out everything that they're going to do for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's very straightforward. It's meant if there's anything that this movie is, it's very it's fun. It, there is not it's not really going to require very much thought to experience and to enjoy this movie. Anyways, it's it's kind of like oh, I would almost say every other Star Wars movie. It's very simple, um, or pretty simple for the most part. But it's very much hearkening on the fact that it's just going to be a fun ride. And this one is no exception to that. I think the beginning is really adventurous just from the opening shot of him trying to hotwire the speeder and the sparks flashing on and off the screen. And then him running, trying to get Kira. I thought Lady Proxima was really creepy. And honestly, it looked like a – this isn't a bad thing. It looked like a – kind of like a puppet animatronic. And I think these newer movies are doing a wonderful job of maintaining realistic effects and not um, going too far with CGI like the prequels did. Oh, yeah, yeah. The This has kind of a cyberpunky feel to it. Uh, I would struggle to say it's dystopian future because it's not exactly on Earth. Uh, but very cyberpunk. Uh, this is very much like the slums of Star Wars, one of the places. That's one thing I actually kind of really like about Star Wars just in general, uh, especially with these newer movies and the original trilogy, is that they do keep it a bit more realistic. They they prequels didn't exactly do that everything was very much way too clean uh these new movies and then the original trilogy did a pretty good job at maintaining realism things are not exactly perfect all the time there are there's many moments where it's just kind of dirty just because that's just how it is so yeah i do enjoy this opening um i think this opening action scene goes on for maybe a bit too long that becomes a pretty common criticism as this movie goes on is uh there's a lot of action uh too much action in fact and there are moments and i mean i'll get into specifics later but there are moments where things just happen because i guess the scriptwriters thought that we needed an action scene but yeah i do enjoy this action scene it's really funny though when he tries to fly the speeder uh hor- vertically into that small space and then it gets stuck i yeah. thought that was very funny because han solo uh, has done this more than once in the in the series where he just kind of drives something into the crack horizontally with his ship. Uh, then this time it kind of flips it on its head and it's like he's not completely there yet, you know. It's yeah. funny. I, I, I did enjoy that quite a bit. And we get, of course, the love story kind of set up here real quick and everything uh, with that. So, yeah, it's pretty good opening, pretty good opening scene. It's very fun. Well, and I do like when he pulls out the rock, pretends it's a grenade. Oh, yeah. And Proxima says, what is what is that? What do you think that is? He's like, it's a grenade. She's like, no, that's a rock. And you just made a clicking sound with your mouth. Yeah. So I think the humor in this movie does work well. It's not overdone, but it is at the right moments. I found it to be funny. Yeah. Uh, one of my one of my issues with Force Awakens was the very first like comedy line that was said. I was not a fan of that, uh, which is the uh, Poe when he's like, so what's going to happen here? You going to talk first? Am I going to talk first? What's going to happen? That's uh, the last I Jedi. Found... No, no, no. That's uh, Force Awakens. Um, that's like the, one of the first lines Poe says. Uh, but regardless, I found it to be kind of cheesy. This one, kind of cheesy. But at this point, it's kind of just what Star Wars is really is. It's cheesy fun just in general. Uh, so yeah, it was, I thought it was kind of funny that he had a thermal detonator, detonator and every one of the rooms like, oh my gosh. And then Proxima is just like, what are you doing? You know, I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. I, I, th- I forgot to mention this. 
Lady Proxima, I think, does look very, really cool. I really like her design. Um, I kind of said that they killed her off her in the beginning, but it's it's a cool design. That's one thing I love about Star Wars just in general. They always have very creative creature design. They're really never all the sim- all similar. They look quite different, which I enjoy. It kind of gives the world a, a bit more of a bigger feel than what you see. That is something that I... How quickly they kill certain characters off that are actually charming and interesting. I was kind of disappointed with that, but I understand you can't keep that many characters in this movie. That It just wouldn't work. You've got to pare it down to the essentials. The side characters work. Uh, John Favreau's character of Rio Durant, I loved him, that like four-armed monkey. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed his character, and I was sad to see him go. Gotta say, though, I didn't really care for L3 too much. Yeah. I I didn't either, and the whole like love story between her and Lando yeah. was, oh. Uh, but yeah, I know I kind of agree with that. I don't think Lady Proxima dies. Um, she kind of goes underwater when yeah. Han breaks the window and the sunlight comes in. That's kind of cool though, is that the sunlight burns everybody, or it burns everybody mm-hmm. in that room. Uh, yeah, I don't know if she dies, but yeah, I think you're right. They do kind of just set up a character like Lady Proxima, and they just don't do much with her. She's more or less just a plot device. Uh, just to get things kickstarted or to grow the world a little bit. That is just a common thing with Star Wars. It's kind of like the Wampa in uh, Episode Five, Empire Strikes Back. It doesn't do much for the story except get Luke to a spot where Han has to go save him. In the overall story, since it doesn't do much, but it does kind of grow the world a little bit too uh, as to where they're at and what they have to deal with on this planet. I didn't find L3 to be as impactful as K2SO from Rogue One. No. And especially the death. Yeah, there seems to be a common trend with all these droids. They're either sarcastic or they're C-3PO. Right. Um, There's really no in-between. BB-8 is maybe in-between that, but uh, that's one character in a sea of, you know, droids that are just blatantly sarcastic r2d2 uh like you said k3so um they're just all sarcastic and i mean after at first it's you know it's whatever but after like 10 years of the exact same thing it's like okay can we you know move on uh different stereotype they try to get uh, it's the robot is kind of how do you say sjw-esque uh, it is kind of funny when she sees the yeah. other droids like fighting in the ring and she's like screaming at them and getting really mad like you're not supposed to do this you know that thought that was kind of funny um but for the most part yeah she does hardly anything for this movie mm-hmm. and if she was written out i'm not entirely sure how much of the story would change i'm glad they didn't harp on that too much about how there is this self-aware robot that realizes robots should have equal rights. Yeah, I just thought that was funny just in general to see that. But yeah, I agree. So I was physically surprised. Like, I physically jumped when Han and Kira were just about to escape Corellia. I found it to be an intense scene, whether they would get to go through or not. The whole chase was. And then when she physically was grabbed and pulled away and separated, I, I jumped. I was surprised. That didn't surprise me too much. I kind of figured... Actually, I figured that they would both get captured, but oh. turns out Han Solo made it through, um, and then Kira got captured. Uh, I kind of 
figured that would happen. It wasn't too big of a surprise with me. It was a bit more of a surprise that they both didn't get captured, but I mean, we had to have a, a plot somehow. So I guess that makes sense when you look at it like that. Okay, so I did hear they were going to address Han Solo's name, and then I forgot about it until they brought it up in the movie. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I don't even know why they did this. Why do we need to know the origin of Han Solo's name? I honestly, this was very much Godfather Part 2-esque, where young Vito has come to America the guy can't figure out what his name is, so he looks at his name tag, and it says Corleone. Well, that's the city he's from in Italy, not his last name. But therefore, that is why he is called Vito Corleone. It's not really his last name. Honestly, this really seems like they were kind of cribbing off of that. Personally, I didn't like... I did not like that they did this. I I absolutely agree. It kind of takes the name of Han Solo to a level where it's just like, meh. Because... The, he goes to the guy to try and sign up to be a pilot, and he's just like, what's your last name? And he goes, uh, I don't have one. He goes, Han Solo, and that's right. just how he got his name. It's just like, oh, <laughs> okay. That, But that is a question I ask quite a lot is, okay, well, why did we need to know that? Right. Like, for instance, um, later on in the movie, he says to Chewie, hey, I, well, he finds out that, Chewie's, that Chewbacca's name is Chewbacca. And so he says, I don't like that name. We'll have to give it a nickname. But why? Why did that line need to be said? It, there's no reason. Just call him Chewy. Who, who really cares? There, there are moments like that in this movie every once in a while. And it's just like, why do we, why? Why do we take time to address this? You could just not and no one would care. This is one of the big problems with most origin stories is they end up explaining too much that people didn't want to know. Instead of preserving the air of mystery and just be like, oh, that's cool. I really don't need to know. They're like, no, we will explain everything, and it'll most likely be contrary to your expectations and your wants, but regardless, we're going to tell you everything. And that's why with some origin novels or movies, I just stay away, because I don't want to know, I don't need to know. It's yeah. not necessary to explain this kind of stuff. And I think, honestly, the naming of Han Solo is probably the biggest example. That was probably, honestly, one of my biggest things with this movie is... Why would you do that? You are clearly going to alienate most people and frustrate them. Yeah, and I I wouldn't say I personally wouldn't say uh, origin stories, but maybe just prequel movies, just in general. Uh, right. That seems to be a common thing where they just explain things for the sake of explaining them. There are some things that you know do need generally need explaining. Um, for instance, the prequels of Star Wars they try to explain how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, although we guess it didn't really need that uh it, it is addressed and it is shown how the down the downfall which happens in like 15 minutes uh of <laughs> anakin skywalker happens now that's something that actually means something because it impacts the story but when like you said the name of han solo how did he get his name han solo oh some random guy uh that he was applying for to be a pilot gave it to him because he didn't have a last name uh so what uh that doesn't make much sense to me but oh, okay I mean, it's a very minor detail, but this comes up enough in the movie that it becomes a, a criticism for my, in, in my mind. I could see, I could see this going two ways, and th what they should have done was just not address it at all. Just right. 
just say Solo is his last name. He is from the line of Solo. Like, how is that any more implausible than somebody's name being Skywalker? I mean, this is Star Wars for Pete's sake. Right. Yeah. It's it's like asking why is Anakin Skywalker, you said, called Anakin Skywalker. Did he walk the sky? Did his family right. member at one point in his life, you know, was he like that? It doesn't matter. It's just his name. Well, I think the problem is they could have done this and tried to make it so cool, though, that it came across as cheesy, where Han is... They're like, well, who's your family? Who's your tribe or whatever? And he's like, I don't have anyone. I am right. Solo. Han Solo. And then it would have been like, oh, that's kind of cheesy. Right, yeah. It, I mean, it's a small detail and we're kind of harping on it. But, I mean, re- regardless, uh, they could have just done nothing, nothing with that plot point and subsequent plot points like it. Uh, that's just kind of what we're saying is that it's so what, you know? So what did you think of Chewbacca has been captured for pretty much entertainment? He's been enslaved and now he eats people. I was like, oh my gosh, Chewbacca eats people? This is a kid's movie. It doesn't show right. it, but you, it implies right, right. it. Uh, it didn't surprise me too much. Actually, uh, at first, like, oh, why Chewbacca? But later on, we see the Wookiees be liberated later on uh, when they get to uh, that one plan to get the ax- the coaxium. Um, but at first I was like, what is Chewbacca? Why is he here now? It made sense a bit more later in the movie, but regardless, uh, at first, like, is that going to be a rancor from, you know, to return of the I Jedi when, yeah. uh, when Luke is sent down the shaft? Um, I thought it was gonna be rancor at first. Uh, it, it wasn't. And it was Chewbacca. That was a nice, that was a pretty nice surprise. Kind of out of nowhere. This, this is kind of a common thing with this movie. Um, but one thing I was like, okay, why is when Han Solo begins talking in Chewie's language? Oh. I mean, it's like, uh, what? Because, okay, yes, it's fine that he knows the language. But, I mean, I would have liked it more if he just learned it over time, not just knew it in his mind and talk like that. Because he never does that anywhere else in the Star Wars franchise mm-hmm. does he ever talk in, like, the Wookiee language. He said he knew a little bit of Wookiee. Yeah. I found it to be funny, but I'm glad they didn't continue to overdo it throughout the movie because then it would have been horribly cheesy. Right, right. I just would have loved it if he just, you know, began to understand what Chewie is saying as the movie went along. That would, I think, would have opened up the door for maybe some more comedy or whatever. Right. Uh, for some reason, they didn't do that. But, I mean, whatever, I guess. So they do get to this planet where they are going to steal this hyperfuel. And honestly, I thought this train scene, I was surprised it came so early in the movie because I was assuming, just from watching the trailers, that this was going to be the climax action scene. But it's pretty much in the first act. And I think the train scene, uh, train robbery scene, is probably one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah, uh... Yeah, this essentially closes out the first act. This is when Han Solo chooses that, hey, I'm going to be a, I'm going to go after this and I'm going to have a bounty on my head. Uh, yeah, uh, great scene. Um, it's fun. I'll, I'll say that much. It's very, it's very fun, but I feel like, I feel like I've seen this before. It feels like almost, it feels like a train scene, like an action, an action set piece on a train just with a Star Wars skin on it. You know, the stormtroopers oh, sure. randomly show up. Uh, the pilot of the ship dies. Uh, whatever her name who's on the bridge is going to blow it up. Mm-hmm. For some reason, she gets her blaster shot out of her hand. And then the probe droids can't go around the antenna to shoot her. <laughs> it's just it's just the scene. I mean, yes, it is a lot of fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. But it, it just kind of feels like, oh, I've seen this before. It just has a Star Wars skin on it. And 
that also kind of becomes another common criticism that I have is that we have action scenes, but they're not special to Star Wars. They're just taken from other movies that done before, and they just put a Star Wars skin on it and said, "Oh, it's brand new." Uh, still a, a fun scene. Don't be, like I said, it's just it feels like I've seen this before. I agree. A lot of it doesn't make sense because. So the first car that they landed on, why didn't they just unhook that one and take that one? The scene would have been over with right away. Yeah, right. why didn't the droids uh, circle around? Uh, there there are a number of issues with the scene, but I'm just saying that I probably had the most fun with this action scene than any other action scene in this movie. Yeah. Although there is one scene that I want to know why we didn't get that movie instead. Uh, it's the scene. It's like kind of like a montage. It's when we were first introduced to Woody Harrelson's character during like this war that's happening. Okay. Yeah. That looks awesome. Oh, yeah. Why don't we have that movie? Why wasn't that Rogue One instead of what we got? I think that would have been a much more enjoyable movie to see. Like our actual like gritty, more like a maybe Full Metal Jacket or... Band uh, of Brothers. Yeah. Like something that's like down and dirty like in the actual dirt. And it's Star Wars, and we get more of the Star Wars-isms, more like that, and be able to build off of that with all the Star Wars stuff. Not nah, we just get, like, a short scene. It looked awesome, but we didn't get it for some reason. That's kind of sad. I That was, like, gl- glimpsed in the trailer, and I was hoping we were going to get more of that in the movie. But, yeah, yeah, it was pretty much just a set device. Three years later, it was kind of, uh, you know, Solo doesn't know what he's doing running around, but it looked awesome. And yeah. we did, in this movie, get a number of new uh like stormtrooper outfits one in the snow and then some new outfits here really cool outfits but yeah it was awesome and hopefully they will introduce that in another movie i don't know i was like also hoping i'm like what if darth vader is here and he's like on the front lines fighting oh that'd be awesome that would be cool kind of like a rogue one uh kind of a thing where he's like running through the uh when they're trying to get the plans to the door or whatever, that would be kind of cool to have that similar kind of a thing here. But yeah, Darth Vader actually doesn't show up in this, I noticed, which is interesting. Um, I kind of like that he doesn't. It's very much a, this is nothing beyond the main storyline. It has nothing to do with it. This is Han Solo. He doesn't really impact the storyline until whenever he's uh, paid in Mos Eisley in episode four. Right. And I was surprised that Darth Vader wasn't in it because I had heard reports originally Darth Vader was going to show up, which I didn't like because that just didn't make any sense to me. Right. How in the world could Darth Vader fit into this movie? And he didn't show up. So I thought it worked well. But I was going to say if they didn't introduce any bad guy more than just this uh Voss guy played by Paul Bettany. I was going to be disappointed. I'm not ready to talk about the final big bad yet, who has apparently been behind it all. Yeah. But yeah, I I guess I was a little worried, but then I was pleased. Regardless, though, I did, uh, honestly, I kind of had a bit of a Mad Max vibe with this train scene with this Infus Nest. To me, Infus Nest sounded like a Morton Joe, and I thought the design looked cool, the fight looked cool between Woody Harrelson, how they were challenging each other. It was kind of chaotic and fun, so I did have a lot of fun with it, and I was really, it got me really intrigued with who this Infus Nest group was. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool, though, with like, you know, the pirates that come up. Uh, the score that happens behind them felt very... Uh ghost in the shell to me mm-hmm. and i really did enjoy that you know, i kind of got also at mind max 5 as well uh just yeah. with these pirates but yeah it is interesting 
Uh, I at first was like, oh, this is kind of fun that just come out of nowhere, you know, just random pirates for this land. But they come back later. Uh, and I kind of figured that because of the music, I was like, why do they get their own special theme and nobody <laughs> else does? <laughs> it was good. Cause I, okay, even though the score is just pretty all right for the most part of this movie, uh, I think later on it gets better. But with this train scene and the and the theme for the pirates, I actually did really enjoy for like, at least the context of the movie. I haven't listened to it outside of that yet. So when they get to uh, Voss's ship and they get on board and just kind of hang around and chat for a while, what did you think of Voss? Because I was like, I saw Paul Bettany in the trailer and I thought, really, Paul Bettany is going to be our big badge for this movie. He just looks like a run-of-the-mill gangster. When he gets mad, his scars inflame and get more red, which I thought was weird and didn't make any sense. And he's kind of balancing this rageful guy with kind of airs of comedy in a way where he's like, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, we should do this again. And oh, no, where is she? Oh, she died. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Yeah, his character, uh, I couldn't catch his name. I mean, they said it, yes, but I'm terrible with names. So I just called him Scarface. Um, oh, yeah, his sense. character was interesting. I, like you said, I thought he was going to be the big bad. He kind of is, but it's more, he's more or less, uh, an incentive, uh, for everyone to kind of do do their job. Uh, it is interesting that, that he is kind of that way. It makes him seem like not that bad of a guy, but still like a threat, you know? And then of course, once Kira comes out then it's like, okay, now maybe he is, actually is a bad guy, but maybe not until about, when we meet up with the pirates uh, after they get all the coaxium, then we kind of realize that maybe he's not that good. Right. But for the most part, it kind of rises line of maybe he is, maybe he isn't. It, it doesn't exactly tell us outright, but if we're kind of led to believe that he is more bad than he is good, at least in this first half. And I think what the movie is trying to say is there aren't really good guys and bad guys. It all depends on what side you're on. Who do you serve in a way? Because it just kind of seems like every man for himself, clearly. Kira, although she cares for Han, she's still out for herself. And, of course, Beckett is out for himself. And, in a way, Han is as well. Chewie goes off to save his own people. So, in in a way, they're all grouped together. But it's also... And, of course, Lando is out for himself as well. So, to me, it just seems like every man for himself, who's good, who's bad, is kind of murky. Yeah, it's very much on the line of using other people for a means to their own end, you know. Right. Um, they're doing things that they want to do, but they're going to the people to do it. Uh, like you said, Han Solo um, and Woody Harrelson just uses Han Solo to get him. Well, he actually even says to Han Solo, you can just leave uh, and not have to do anything else with this. And then Han Solo doesn't. But yeah, it's very much a, this this kind of life that Han Solo... Uh, gets into is very much on the side of every man for himself but they do kind of have this ragtag team but it's still and even in this team it feels kind of cowboy bebop e where they are this team but they do their own thing you know uh they're not tied to always be with this team and in fact they constantly at least in bebop they the characters kind of just walk off especially um one of the characters they kind of walk off and do their own thing for for a while and then they'll come back uh they don't necessarily do that here but it kind of have that has that same feeling yeah, that's that's a great connection. This group is very Cowboy Bebop-esque. And yeah. I highly, both of us highly recommend Cowboy Bebop, and we yes. do plan to review it someday. Right. Hopefully, we'll be able to review that in the future. Uh, we haven't put it on the schedule just yet, though, but that'd be kind of cool. 
I was really pleased with Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. I think he really, Im- uh, he just really embodied the role that was first done by Billy D. Williams in episode five. Donald Glover got the accent down, the cadence down, the kind of the gravitas, the charisma down. I was really pleased with his role. Yeah, Donald Glover, man, he looks a lot like Childish Gambino, but that's just me talking. <laughs> uh, joke, by the way. Um, no, okay, so yeah, I do enjoy uh, Lando's character. Uh, Donald Glover is playing Lando here. I, like you said, I think he does get the uh, charisma down. He gets the cadence of his voice down um, for the most part. I mean, he, still is, he seems very young, but that feels like it fits the character because he is not Lando like we know in episode 5 or episode 6. Um, yeah, it is. I do think he does a pretty good job. There are a couple lines that I'm just like, uh, not sure how well that worked, but for the most part, he does great. I, I think that he's one of the better characters on this team is uh, is Lando um, and Don Glover playing him. I think he does a very, very good job. I would have liked to see a bit more from him uh, as, a, as like a character in the story and maybe gone more deeper with this character and develop him a bit more. We kind of don't really get that. Um, to be fair, though, nobody really has much development anyways, but for what we get, I think it works, and I think it works pretty pretty well and he is one of the better characters here i definitely believe we are going to see him again as well in a future oh, yeah, sequel. i'm sure i am i'm absolutely sure that he'll come back i mean it's donald glover and it's lando calories and we only had him in like one and he was in the beginning well i guess two he was in two movies because he was in return of the jedi as well although did you notice that uh when they sneak into the the place where they get the coaxium uh Woody Harrelson's wearing the garb that, he, that Lando wears in episode six in the beginning. I noticed that in the yes, detail. I did notice that. I almost thought that was Lando at first, but then I was like, oh, no, it's Woody Harrelson. So, yeah, yeah. they're clearly calling back to that. Also, right. I noticed in the background of uh, Paul Bettany's chamber is some Mandalorian Boba Fett type armor. Yeah. Those are interesting. All the details are nice. Yeah, it is. Uh, also... I'm pr- I'm wondering if we're going to get Lando in episode nine because it just doesn't make sense. We haven't had him in seven or eight. What has he been doing? Right. I, I don't know. Um, last time we saw him, he was yeah he had he fought on the in the battle of the Death Star in episode six, right? And nothing really much happened with that. I can't remember if they even mention him in the other two uh, movies at all. I don't think they do. Anyways, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to have him back, uh, have Leno come back for uh, maybe even a brief cameo or something. I mean, he never really was that big of a character. Um, maybe in episode six he was bigger. But, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to have him back. I wonder if that'll ever happen. I'm not too terribly uh, sad that he's not has come back yet, but <laughs> it'd be kind of nice to have him back. So I think that there was some really nice chemistry, but also awkward tension between Han and Kira because it had been three years clearly they were romantically involved but their lives had taken such different paths and they'd become clearly such different people for the most part I don't think Han had changed very much but clearly Kira had I was like okay so wait a minute so now that they're back together do they still have feelings for each other or don't they I think that was handled really well 
Yeah, this is a very complex relationship. We don't really have a clear answer as to what either of them feels. They're both they're both very young, but they're still they're kind of at a point where yeah, it's been through years, and Han Solo clearly still has feelings for her, but she doesn't exactly real think that at first. She kind of comes around there towards the end a little bit, but yeah. Very much a complex relationship. I actually did enjoy this because of how complex it was. I would have maybe liked a little bit, maybe a little bit more of uh, exploring this because it feels maybe a little bit too complex and not deep enough. But I mean, from what we get, I think it, it works pretty well uh, for the most part. I just would have loved some more clarification as to what exactly the relationship is because uh, yes, we do have it has been three t- three years, but they look exactly the same. So I just didn't get that notion. The middle of this movie, pretty much the whole entire Kessel scene where they have to get to Kessel. Well, of course, they pick up Lando on the way. This is mostly the kind of dialogue exposition scene, kind of looking at different characters. But then once they do get on Kessel, there's a major action scene with this kind of robot rebellion and then human rebellion. I think this is... This is kind of where the movie dips a little bit for me. And then I think there's another point later on as well, because this is a long movie at two and a half hours. And yeah. I yeah. did feel the running time. I think they definitely could have tuned up the pace a bit because I found myself, especially once they did get the hyperfuel, I found myself saying, okay, let's get to the end and figure this out. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's an action scene here that, doesn't call for an action scene and then there's an action scene later when with that big monster that doesn't call for an action scene uh and then okay for some reason and i can kind of imagine a connection but for some reason we have these themes of of oppression and then liberation uh the wookies are trapped the droids are serviced to work for uh these people uh and then as instructed uh l3 creates a distraction and pulls off off the off the uh, restraining boats from all these droids, and they're kind of set free, and then they're you know they essentially run out and they ca- start causing havoc. All the prisoners are released. There's random themes of yeah oppression and then liberation. And although I understand that uh, this movie is kind of about having a price over your head, you're not as bad as you really think that you are. Uh, we get these scenes where it's just kind of goes off the rails and random things happen. And then we get an action scene of all the characters standing in front of the Millennium Falcon shooting at the enemy, but somehow the enemy can't hit them until Donald Glover gets hit because the script asks them to ask it to. It just kind of feels like we're losing focus at this point because yes, I understand that these themes are important in today's society, but they don't, fit completely in the movie and that begins like you said begins to waver and maybe fall apart a little bit things like this i they should have cut this l3 should have i think probably been removed and then we get this random scene with Lando's like oh l3 no as he pulls the top half of her off i don't know i'm not a big fan of this scene this is kind of where my biggest issue of too many action scenes comes into play because so many things happen, uh, and they can't go more than 20 minutes without an action scene that it begins to become draining after, like, uh, two and a half hours, like you said, of the same thing. Just over and over this constant cycle. I, I completely agree. For a movie with a plot this basic and geared towards pretty much all ages, this movie is not equipped to handle 
really deep themes or sociological issues of slavery or oppression. I'm glad they didn't go too far into it because then it really would have just split the movie between a fun action movie and a political commentary. Right. I don't know. I was worried when I saw them heading towards that direction because I was thinking not every movie needs to have a commentary. Okay. Some movies are just intended for a story and then the message will come through the story. But when you try and force the message into the story like that, then it becomes too obvious and it kind of derails everything. Thankfully, I don't think this movie went too far with it. But regardless, I don't even understand exactly what they're, what, what the whole point of introducing it was anyway. If you're not going to make that it, some massive theme of the movie. I understand at the beginning that Han and all these young kids are kind of in this gang. It felt very much like the original live action Ninja Turtles to me. I was getting weird Ninja Turtles flashbacks with Shredder and the kids. That's not a good thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> but they didn't stay there for too long. And I understand in the end, it's like, well, uh, it was like in uh, Infinity War when Doctor Strange was like, which master do you serve? And Star-Lord is like, what am I supposed to say? Jesus? That was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, I but- do agree. Uh, though, though these themes may be important, once again, you don't necessarily need to have them in here. It kind of feels like the uh, the casino scene, everything to do with the casino scene in, Return, in uh, episode eight. I know a lot of people had a big problem with that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, regard, like you said, it isn't really touched on very heavily, although I think that it is too much. I mean, right. yes, having a small theme here or there is fine, but when you do this and cause an action scene, then it's too much. You've, you've gone a bit too far, and I think that they could probably could have cut that. This did not need to be an action scene. It probably just, it would have worked best if it was a stealth mission, to be honest with you. Uh, had they just gotten in and gotten out, and then they realized, the people realized too late that, oh, crap, we just got robbed. You know, I think that right. would have worked best and had a little bit of a diversity for a movie that's filled with action, which, although, yes, does help with the uh, with the pacing and having it move along a bit quicker, there comes a point where it's like, okay, slow down because there's so much happening that doesn't exactly need to happen to advance the story except to be inter- except to be entertaining. I think that's one of its biggest flaws is that it thinks that it needs to have an action scene when in reality it doesn't re- exactly need to. Right after this we get the Kessel the, the infamous or maybe famous, I don't know. Kessel run scene that is first mentioned in episode 4 where right. Han Solo says I did the Kessel or the ship did the Kessel run in 12 parsecs well now we get to see what that is and i i guess i'm not the only one i'm not alone in originally thinking that parsecs was a measurement of time not a measurement of distance yeah because that seemed more impressive to me because 12 parsecs oh man he did it so fast whereas this scene is anything but fast because although it looks incredible and it's awesome in certain ways it's also, I felt, too long, especially when they get pulled into that gravity well or whatever. And I was like, wait, how is this 12 parsecs? You're just sitting here forever in this gravity thing. And then you realize, oh, parsecs is a distance. So basically, he took a shortcut through and defeated this enemy, outran the Empire, 
and he's incredible. We get it. Honestly, I didn't really get the message that he was an incredible pilot. He kept saying it, and then I guess he proved it here, but to me, it wasn't like, oh, wow, you're so amazing, like in episode five when he's maneuvering through the asteroids, and we do get the same theme from that as well. Yes, we do get those Millennium Falcon theme. This is, okay, this is a scene where I said, the music is what makes this scene as enjoyable as it is. If this was without the music, I would have been just, oh my word, just move on. But because the music here is very much, it's very much homaging the asteroid belt scene, or the asteroid field scene in episode five, which is a great theme, by the way, uh, for the Millennium Falcon, or just in Star Wars in general, uh, it made the scene just like, oh yes, you know, something new. Yeah, I I, I really do agree with you. Um, this scene is just kind of in there for reasons I can't describe, except we have to make it longer and more enjoyable. Uh, yes, the gravity well. I mean, I suppose that they're once again creating more for the world or whatever. But it just feels like they're just tacking it on because we need some more suspense or whatever. Uh, then of course when they put in the when they inject the coaxium into the uh, into the Millennium Falcon or Falcon, the the ship kind of just shuts down and it's like, oh no, what are they gonna do? And then of course it blasts off again. Just random suspense, and then that random monster that shows up that doesn't do much at all. Uh, this scene, like it could have been cut. You know, it's just we're continuing on with action when there doesn't need to be action. It, this movie could have been an hour forty five minutes, and I don't think anyone really would have really would have minded that at all. Uh, anyways, I have to know what you think about. Okay, since we're kind of here, uh, what do you think about Han Solo's character? Because I have. I like him, and then there are points or parts of him that I don't like about him. So what do you think? What do, you, do you like him? Do you not like him? What are your thoughts? I have accepted Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. I don't feel... I, I'm not frustrated that he's Han Solo whatsoever. So yes, I do like him as Han Solo. He is no Harrison Ford, though, at all. I think he is still kind of growing into the part. At least I hope that is the case. I hope when we do get a sequel, he will have more charisma. In this movie, he did seem kind of more like a kid in certain ways. Some of his line delivery I felt was odd or just his pronunciation. I don't know if that's him trying to imitate Harrison Ford or just him trying to be his own Han Solo character. I was like, why are you talking this way sometimes? But overall, I, I really would have liked to have seen more charisma from him because Donald Glover brought the charisma with Lando. So I was hoping this Han would have been a little more suave. But what I think they're trying to show is this guy is more rough around the edges. He's coming off of a hard life. I'm assuming once he's out with Chewbacca on their own and they're doing more deals, he'll get more cocky and confident being a smuggler and whatnot because that's what we see him acting that way with Jabba the Hutt. Whereas with the other guys, I think he's kind of coming into his own there, but not as much. So overall, yes, I do like Alden Ehrreich as Han Solo and I do... I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do more with it. Yeah, I, I think that this is, if he comes back, which sounds like he might be, I, this is really only the tip of the iceberg for his character, Alden Uh One of my bigger issues is that, for some reason, he really wants to fly, like, really bad. And he says it, like, 14 times in the movie that I can fly. I'm a good pilot. And we see it a couple of times, yes, but it's just like, okay, okay, chill. I understand that you're a good pilot, but you don't need to say it every time an opportunity comes up 
that was really annoying. Um, yeah, he, for some reason, really wants to get into this life that uh, Woody Harrelson is in, which makes no sense to me at all. Uh, he even says to Kira, by the way, I'm just a, I'm a terrible person. She's like, no, you're not. You're a good guy, which is very clear that he, I mean, he is a good guy. Um, but it, it, there's this view on Han Solo is weird, and I'm not entirely sure how much I like it. I think it is a pretty good job at, you know, being a Han Solo, not necessarily trying to be what Harrison Ford was, but also trying to be his own Han Solo. And I think he did a pretty much a, a good job with that for the most part. But the way that they wrote his character, I felt was just kind of, I don't know. It's weird because it's, yes, he is young, but at the same time, you know, we write, he's written in a way that is odd. Just for a character in general to say, like, I can fly, I'm a good pilot, or, man, I want to get into this life, and moves towards the life that Harris, that Woody Harrison said, even though he had the opportunity to just walk away and not have to deal with it ever again, after Woody Harrison said, by the way, if you come with me, you're in this forever. You know, it's kind of like the drug game, where if you do it, if you deal once, you're in it forever, you know, it's... It's weird, and I, maybe I'm getting the notion that that's just how that's just what they're going for. Is that uh, yes, you may think that you're this bad when in reality you're not. Um, and I, I can definitely see that, and I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for. But it feels like they're just slapping me in the face with that. It just kind of it doesn't feel like it's organic. It just kind of feels like, well, we have to make him like this because this is what the rest of the movie is like. For the rest of the franchise is like with him, so. It kind of doesn't really work for me. I don't believe I felt that way. I didn't really get that. I can see your points and understand it. But I think what they're trying to go for is this Han Solo who is not as cocky as he will become. Mind you, this is his first time with the Millennium Falcon. This is his first time really in this world. So I think he's trying to put on a face like, oh yeah, you know I'm the best pilot in the galaxy. Just like a kid bragging. It's like... No, you're not. You've not really ever had any experience. You've basically never flown before. So I think this is him trying to prove himself, put on this big face, trying to be cocky. He's still awkward. He's still coming into his own. At least that's what I got from the character. So yes, I do agree partially that some of the writing could have been tuned up, but I think they are still trying to make him similar, but still different enough that in future sequels, he will be more like Han Solo. And yes, on your first outing and, you know, doing a role done by Harrison Ford, I mean, that, I don't know, that's really nerve wracking. That's oh, incredibly yeah. hard to do. So as far as his acting went, I think his acting was fine. I didn't think it was great per se. Uh, I, I thought he's playing with some really amazing people like Woody Harrelson. I did it really enjoy Woody Harrelson's character, actually. Uh, Amelia Clark has done a lot with Game of Thrones, and Donald Glover hasn't done a whole lot. He was on Community in a comedic role, which I really enjoyed. But I do think Alden will hopefully do better. I would have liked some more charm from him, but as for his actual character went, I think he did fine. I accepted it, but I do think we're going to get some more. Yeah, uh, Woody Harrelson's character, I guess we can kind of talk about him for a little bit. Um... I would have loved for Woody Harrelson to not play Woody Harrelson again. I mean, he, he works for the role, but he kind of just does the same thing uh, that he did in Billboards Outside of Missouri or uh, The Hunger Games. He, he kind of just 
feels like he's just doing the same thing over and over again. I would have loved for his character to kind of branch out and do different things, but I mean, for what we got, it's not bad. I don't think it's bad at all, but I just wish that he would have had a more uh, diverse acting style, I guess is what I'm saying. And it's shining out here than what we got. I think Woody Harrelson is a great actor and he does like roles that are different, but yes, his acting style, I always know that's Woody Harrelson. Yeah, he's yeah, no exactly. Johnny Depp where it's like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? That's Johnny Depp. Right. It's like, no, this is just Woody Harrelson. He's kind of rides the line always between good and bad with each of his roles. No, I'm not speaking performance wise. I'm speaking his moral character, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah, I- exactly. I just would have loved to have a bit more of a diverse character with him sure. than what we got. He, His character doesn't have much development to him. Uh, none of these characters really have much to him at all. Even Solo is kind of one note, although he does get the most development, duh, because he's the main character. But yeah, I just would have loved, I guess just in general, to have deeper characters. We're kind of stepping into Rogue One territory where there's little to these characters. And maybe in Rogue One we didn't need it nearly as much, but in this one we do because this is Han Solo we're talking about. You know, this is kind of a big deal. Well, I will differentiate a little bit because I do think we did get some more character motivations, like better character motivations in this movie than in Rogue One. Yes. Because I feel like there was little to no character motivations aside from Jyn or so with a connection with her father. But yeah, there hopefully in future Star Wars movies, there will be better character development but i will say these characters are much better and i think they all have a better chemistry and work together much better than anything in rogue one. Oh yeah no i absolutely agree uh these are much better characters in rogue one i'm just saying that i would have liked more development from them they, we get some but not enough i think to make this movie a bit more personal which really could have gone that route i mean i guess the they're just kind of looking at this as more of a adventure fun time which is fine but i mean if we could have gone deeper is what i'm saying much deeper one, than we did in rogue one though for the record one side note that i wanted to just say really briefly before we talked about the end here did you notice in the beginning when he was looking at the promotional reel for the empire like signing up for the empire they use the Imperial theme yes. as an actual composition like within the universe because it was playing over the speakers. I was like, wait a minute. This is... <laughs> what? Now Star Wars just got meta. Yeah. It did get meta. Yeah, that was yeah, no, kind of odd. I don't understand that choice at all. Yeah, I did notice that. I was like, that's kind of funny. I mean, I'm sure they did it just as like an Easter egg. Uh, but yeah, it makes the mo- it makes Star Wars a bit more meta than... Uh, whatever it was before. Yeah, that is, I did like that little detail that they had the Imperial March playing over the ad at the beginning. So the climax here is fine. It's okay. There isn't a whole lot to it. There's the old switcheroo, which was it really a switcheroo. I found that to be kind of a fun twist i felt like there was some awkwardness with how han was acting because it was the real deal but he was like wait what you want me to open it oh okay i eh, i know he's clearly trying to fake out the audience but the ending of rogue one i felt was really epic with the death star destroying half the planet darth vader destroying everything trying to get the codes a massive battle going on in space and on land and this is like super toned down and that makes sense because this is 
the movie. The movie is really small scale, I would say, with some really big scale action sets. Whereas this ending opts for more of something more small scale, which makes sense because we've they've kind of already given us all the big scale action scenes to begin with. So they can't give us something else that's big. I, I'm just th- feeling like the final confrontation with Paul Bettany's character is kind of weak because I think Paul Bettany is a really weak character. Like his character of Voss is extremely weak, but I, I was a little confused whether Kira was on their side throughout this movie. So I did like they played with my expectations and she ultimately did uh, kill Voss, but then we come to find out she has another master. But what do you think of this end? Have you ever played the game Twister? Uh, yeah, I guess so when I was a kid. This movie reminds me of that game because there are so many twists in this ending. Uh, <laughs> some of them for a little reason, but okay. First twist, yes, Woody rattled them out. Uh, he told yeah. Bossman Scarface that uh, they have the Axiom. Uh, the second twist, oops, they have the ambush from the pirates because he was expecting them all along. And then next twist, oops, they actually don't have the Coaxium. It's actually with Han Solo. Then uh, the, then Kira betrays him. And then uh, it turns out she was faking it the whole time and then kills Scarface. Like, holy cow, like, chill. It just kind of goes off the rails here for a little bit, and it just kind of goes, oh, yeah, well, what about this? And just, like, keeps throwing things at you. I, it could have slowed down. It didn't need all of this. Uh, regardless, yeah, you're right. This is just an okay action scene. Um, Han Solo really hardly ever uses his blaster, which is kind of fun that he gets it from Woody Harrelson. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Scarface here is very cardboard cutout a very flat character um so i i didn't really care for his this action scene with him in in general um i guess uh chewbacca got captured by woody harrelson that kind of was a thing that was mentioned and then never talked about ever again Uh, yeah this is just fine um it could be much better it like you said i do like that it is more small scale than it is rogue one where it's very grandiose and things are because i have a whole planet that they have to scale you know versus this one they just need to get away It, it yeah i do enjoy that it is more small scale but i guess i if they had better characters this would have made it more exciting and stuff like that i saw woody harrelson's character uh being the twist the first one, at least, I found that I saw it when coming from a mile away. Um, I would have loved to have uh, Scarface do more. He doesn't do very much, and it's all kind of done by Kira, who is—I don't know. This is just an eh, like you said. It's an eh, <laughs> kind of a kind of a climax. It's kind of sad because the other action scenes were much better than this, much better. Even the yeah. one with the even the one with. Uh, the impair with the TIE fighters fly- flying, chasing them through the asteroid field, I felt was better than this. Yeah, it's fine. I honestly, at this point, just kind of want them to wrap it up because I feel like yeah. we're really dragging things out. It, we're nearing two and a half hours at this point, and I feel like we've we've got it. We need to kind of wrap this up. You know what? I saw Woody Harrelson's... Okay. So in some ways, I honestly thought Woody Harrelson was legitimately going off to Tatooine to clearly set up the Job of the Hut scenario. But then when he came back, I was like, really? You're, you're back? What? Why did you come back? It didn't make any sense why he came back because 
Voss is like, oh, he set you up, so why didn't he just leave? I guess maybe he was going to get payment that way. I So I was a little surprised by that, but honestly, I had flashbacks to Agent Cody Agent Cody Banks 2 oh. Destination. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> okay, I'll listen. <laughs> so, uh, I know that's uh, probably not a compliment, but <laughs> anyways. I wouldn't consider one, but. <laughs> no. So, when Woody Harrelson's character says, don't trust anybody ever, Okay. Don't do it. Don't even trust me. And he's like, I don't even trust my girlfriend wife over here. He didn't say that, but that's what he implied. Yeah. I, was, I was like, really? Okay. Anyways, I was like, oh, okay. I immediately had a flashback because when Cody is off at, quote, summer camp, his instructor says, don't ever trust anybody. And then not long after that, his instructor betrays him and he is the nemesis. Well, and then they do that in this movie where he's like, don't don't trust anybody and then in the end it's like aha i told you not even to trust me i was the bad guy i was like this is they just took this from agent cody banks to destination london got it yeah i actually <laughs> i'd say that's even just a cliche in itself <laughs> it is it is just like don't trust anybody and then that person betrays them uh they basically you know they they, they spell it out for you but yeah uh this ending and well, should we get to the probably one of the bigger twists of the movie, uh, Darth Maul? Yeah, let's talk about the big twist, the big reveal, because right before that, Voss said, do you know who I answer to? Like, this is who it's really going towards. I don't really care about the fuel. This is what, I'm just the conduit. I'm the middleman for this fuel. And then we get this holograph, and I was like, is this the Emperor? And then I see mechanical legs, and me being a big Star Wars fan... I kind of was tipped off just a little bit, and then when he stands up and the hood comes off, I, I visibly lit up my, I, I sprang forward in my seat, there were some younger guys next to us on our row, they were fist pumping in the air, super excited. I could tell the audience there was some gasps, and I was super excited by seeing Darth Maul return to the big screen after about 17 years. Yeah, this is... In my mind, the only surprise in this movie, <laughs> because everything else is just so predictable up until this point. And, but I often, I do kind of wonder, uh, is this going to go anywhere? Uh, it kind of feels like they're setting up for a sequel or some other movie. Th- that might be the case. I, I don't know. There's no plans that I've heard of. Um, regardless, it was kind of a nice surprise, but I do know that when Darth Maul returned in the Clone Wars, that was kind of controversial for quite a number of fans, uh, when he, when he made his return. Um, and I think he also did return in Rebels, right? Am I correct in that? Yes. I can talk a little bit more about that. Okay. But, But I mean, but my point is, this is the only, I think this is the only surprise for me in the movie. Everything else, I just kind of like, oh, well, of course, you know. This one is like, oh, that's interesting because there's this constant thing with Star Wars where everybody answers to somebody else higher than them. Uh, I think the top is probably, uh, well, the top I think we got to was the Emperor in Episode Six, and we had Snoke, I guess, too, in Episode Eight and or Seven and Eight. Yeah. So I mean, there's this constant thing, this normal thing for right. Star Wars that every bad guy answers to somebody higher as a bad guy. That's exactly right, and that's what they're setting up, but I was not expecting this at all, and yeah, it was a huge surprise. I was super pleased because I've always wanted to see Darth Maul 
Technically, he is no longer Darth Maul because he is no longer Sith. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But I've always wanted to see him come back. And so was like pretty much everybody else because he was the best part of the Phantom Menace. Some may even say one of the best parts of the entire prequel trilogy because he was just awesome. Yep, I've heard both of those arguments that he's just the best thing about the... He, I've heard arguments that the only reason you watch Phantom Menace is for Darth Maul as yes, well. So pretty much. So you knew he was in the Clone Wars and Rebels. Yes, beforehand. I did know. I remember seeing him in Clone Wars, and I had heard that he was in Rebels at one point as well. Okay, so I kind of just assumed everybody knew that, but I didn't realize that some people... And like my girlfriend, for instance, after the movie, she was like, wait a minute, he got cut in half in episode one. How in the world did he come back? So I was like, oh, yeah, I I didn't really think about that. Probably most audiences, like 80% of the audience is going to be shocked and thinking, wait a minute, he was cut in half 17 years ago, like eight movies ago. How has he come back? And there's going to be a lot more like a lot more questioning and surprise on that end, which would be really fun. Uh, I kind of wish that I felt that way as well. But so the Clone Wars was an animated Cartoon Network TV series that ran for about six seasons. And they did bring technically back technically five, technically five on Cartoon Network. And then they released the sixth season on Netflix after got after Lucas bought out Lucasfilm. That or, is uh, after Disney bought out Lucasfilm. That's true. And they did bring back Darth Maul and his story developed over a few seasons. More like uh, he, he came back, I think, in like season four and it like finished up in season five. And so basically what happened is his body was cut in half. But through the power of the dark side, his life was still preserved. He was taking taken to this trash planet and. And he kind of built for himself these spider legs. His horns were really big and he was completely insane. And eventually he was brought back to his home planet of Dothamir, which is where Kira heads to. He tells Kira to head back to Dothamir, where his mother, Talzin, which is his actual mother, that's her name, Mother Talzin, she is this uh, witch in tune with the dark side and... Uh, basically her and Darth Sidious got together a long time ago and they learned dark side magic from each other and Darth Sidious actually took her son Darth Maul and, and made him into a Sith and called him Darth Maul and that's where that whole storyline came together but Maul feels betrayed by Sidious and he starts a campaign of uh, kind of killing all these different innocent people and trying to get back at Sidious, and ultimately he takes over uh, uh, Jango Fett's homeworld, or Boba Fett. I can't remember which one came first. Uh, mm. I wouldn't know. I can guess Jango Fett, but that's episode two that we're thinking of. That's pretty early on. That's like right after episode one. So he pretty much takes over his homeworld of Mandalore, and that is what you see with that that Boba Fett, Jango Fett. That's Mandalorian armor. He takes that over, and he wields this dark, ancient dark saber, and he actually kills Obi Wan's love interest. I mean, Jedi aren't really allowed to have those, but Obi Wan does. So he does. He murders Obi-Wan's love interest and Obi-Wan and him do see each other again in that confrontation. The uh, Darth Sidious comes and they fight and Darth Sidious captures 
Maul. And that is pretty much where the Clone Wars leaves off. Now, for Season 6, they had plans to develop his storyline further, but it wasn't uh, done because the show got canceled. So they did come out with this... Uh, Pre, uh, this uh, continuation, it's called Star Wars Darth Maul, Son of Dothamir, and it tells you it's adapted from an unproduced screenplay for Season 6, and it actually kind of recaps everything I just said. And basically, this shows uh, Darth Maul, or I'm sorry, this shows Maul facing off against Count Dooku and General Grievous, and he faces off against Sidious once again, and they kill his mother and basically everything he has worked for seems to be mostly undone and they establish in the clone Wars series and in this book that he has amassed not just the mandalorian army but also this major crime syndicate now there's never there's never any mention of crimson dawn that's pretty much new to this but we do get mention of the pikes and black sun and the Pikes are actually mentioned in this movie. I'm not sure if you caught it. Yeah, uh, that scene confused me because I just th throw in names, the Pikes and everything right. else in the scene. I was like, ah, oh, what? If you've seen yeah. Clone Wars and if you've read this, then you will know he controls the Pikes. He controls Black Sun and apparently Crimson Dawn. We didn't really know that. But anyways, this uh, comic here just ends with him seemingly lost in defeat and then it's probably between the end of this comic and where rebels picks up star wars rebels is right before episode four and rogue one it's been about 15 years so maul is really old and he is still trying to find obi-wan and he does kind of encounter the rebels group and he comes to the sith temple and whatnot and ultimately, uh, there, here's just a little bit of spoilers for Rebels. So if you haven't seen Rebels and you don't want to know how the Darth Maul storyline ends, then just tap that advance 15 seconds twice. Probably it's only going to take 30 seconds. Anyways, he, um, him and Obi-Wan face off on Tatooine. It is the Alec Guinness older Obi-Wan in animated form, of course. And the duel is done within like, uh, just two seconds because Maul is just blinded by rage and hate and Obi-Wan is so great at it that he takes him out really fast and then uh, Maul says, is he the chosen one? Referring to Luke and Obi-Wan says, yes, he is. And then Maul says, well, then he will avenge us both, meaning he will bring about the end of the dark side of Sidious. So that's basically Maul's storyline. But like I said, between... Darth Maul's son of Dothamir and what we see in Rebels, there's still about a 10 to 15 year gap of what's going on. So I believe that we are absolutely going to get a sequel with Kira, with Maul, with Solo maybe. I'd love to see Maul have his own film. But yeah, it was really exciting. And it was Ray Park who was the original Maul. Okay. Yeah, and I wondered if that was him. Uh, I, I couldn't tell because it's been 17 years since he's uh, been Darth Maul in, in the costume. It's so. the original guy. It's technically, I'm pretty sure Ray Park just voiced him in the Phantom Menace, but actually it's Sam Witwer who did the oh, voice okay. of Maul from Clone Wars and Rebels, and many of you may know him uh, from the Star Wars Force Unleashed video games. He's the title character. I mean, it looks just like him. So he yeah. actually did the voice of Maul. Okay. All right. I understand. 
Yeah, I kind of want to know, uh, now that you explained all that, why it's in this movie, what it's going to do to impact Star Wars later on. Because if it's just here, just because it's going to be like, for me, it's just like, okay. Uh, but, I mean, and I'm sure that this is what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to have something planned for him down in the future with future anthology movies. Um, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember if the anthology films are supposed to be uh, all connected somehow. Although this to Rogue One, there really is no connection. So I guess we'll find out the more that come out. So we know that I want all... to see what they do with Darth Maul if they develop him more. If he's just like a twist, just because. Right. I don't know. We know that they're all canon. They're all canonical movies, and yes. they do just further advance the lore of the universe. So now that you've seen episode one, it's not completely pointless anymore because clearly it will tie back and it'll, I'm sure this movie is such an obvious setup for a sequel, not as obvious as independence day resurgence, which was horrible and a horrible setup. Not like that, but it's like, Oh man, you can't just leave us hanging and introduce this kind of stuff to us. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that. Cause that was a really great twist that i think will satisfy not only fans but people of the series and get them really inquisitive and about yeah just i this. just hope that they do something because if this is just here for because because then it's kind of infuriating but so we'll see, i guess we'll find out i have a theory that they just of course alden ehrenreich is the new han solo i have a theory we are going to get a new luke skywalker and a new princess leia because there are a number of stories in the Legends canon that I think they're going to want to do eventually. Once these episode films are done, and it's still not going to be for a long time. I actually wrote an article about this uh, where I talk about the Star Wars universe into the year 2030 and beyond where I believe they're going to go with it. I'll link that in the description down below so you can go and read that article and hear my full thoughts why I believe they're going to do this. But I think one of the biggest reasons why is I I really honestly believe they're going to do uh, Shadows of the Empire book because that connects episode five and six. And it's a great book. It's a great video game. Fun video game. Old, but. I was getting some Shadows of the Empire flashbacks with this whole train scene because you are on a train with cargo and stuff. I forgot about I forgot about the train in the the game. That's true. I could see that they might have pulled may have had like a little bit of a inspiration from that game too. For all we know, so I'm pretty sure this is what they're doing. They're if they're going to introduce a new solo, you know they're going to do a new Luke and a new Leia for a brand new generation of kids and families with brand new Star Wars adventures. They're going to start adapting more from Legends. They've already been pulling quite a bit from legends for the tv shows and even for some of these movies so i I guarantee we're going to get like shadows of the empire and um i'd like to actually see an alternative uh episode seven eight nine with um the thrawn trilogy of books that or no it's not i don't think it's thrawn i'm sorry it's uh it's different but everybody said those books because they originally considered seven eight and nine everybody said those should have been the movie so i guarantee we're going to get something like that in the future yeah uh there's no reason for disney to just give up star wars they're going to keep making movies until they don't make money anymore uh that's just because star wars is a huge catch grab it's something that makes a lot of money uh whenever they make one so i mean i can see that happening them doing like you said, and then you break it up to 2030. I'm 
I, and I'm pretty sure that that's what's going to happen. They're not going to just stop uh, just because they don't, they've run out of ideas. They'll make ideas, and they have plenty of material to base their uh, their movies off of. Like you said, they have a bunch of legend stuff they can go through, which I know for a fact that they've been uh, pulling pieces from that, making stories out of it, things of that nature. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Solo, A Star Wars Story? Okay. Just because it's Star Wars doesn't mean I can't give it a fair review. Um, maybe I have a little bit of bias because I've grown up with Star Wars, but when I come in to do Silver Screen Guide, I view, try to view it as close as I can, like I do with every other movie that I see. And this movie is pretty predictable, and it's pretty cliche. Like I said, with the train scene especially, it just feels like a normal train scene just with a Star Wars skin on it. That There are multiple points with this. There's action scenes that just go on for too long. There are action scenes that are here for no reason. It is two hours and 15 minutes when it probably could just be an hour and 45. I think that that would have sufficed if not made it even better. Regardless, it is still fun, and don't get me wrong, when I, before I give my score, it is still a very fun movie to watch, and the action, however prevalent it was, it did move the story on in a, very, in a nice way that didn't ever make it boring. I never felt bored in this. Uh, I felt drained, yes, but I was never bored. Although... I would have loved to see more focus because this movie is kind of just all over the place at parts. We have, once again, I'm bringing back the oppression liberation themes that are just all over the place. Uh, Han Solo's character is not necessarily defined very, very well. Um, small things like that. I think that this is a much bigger improvement over Rogue One uh, in some aspects and in some aspects, not necessarily so. If there is one thing I do actually regret, it is my score for Rogue One. Uh, I watched it again after we did a review and my score for that movie tanked uh i think i gave it an eight or a nine on the review that we did uh it's more like a five or a six for me now after seeing it for a second time and i'm gonna have to go with that same score for uh for solo i'm gonna give it a six i'm gonna give it a okay if if you like star wars you'll like this movie if you like movies in general and just want to have fun you'll like this movie but if you're going into it looking for a very competent and well-rounded story something that you'll get a lot out of, then why are you watching Star Wars? Because none of the movies are, are particularly that deep. Um, I would have loved to see this more well-rounded. I would have loved to see something more special come out of Solo, but instead we kind of get your typical run-of-the-mill Star Wars, this is fun uh, kind of a flick. And I would have loved to see much, much more, and we didn't get that. So overall, I had fun, yes, but at the same time, I wanted more. Way more than whatever it got because it kind of just feels like we're on repeat now, which is my fear that this is what's going to happen and Star Wars is going to become uh, a universe of constant repeats. Um, regardless, 6 out of 10, mild recommend. I want more, though. Solo, A Star Wars Story is an adventurous ride with a great cast, easy story, and lots of excitement. The movie vastly furthers Star Wars and Han Solo lore, which may upset some fans, but overall I was pleased with the changes and I am excited about this recasting. The plot and pace dips towards the middle to end and I found myself wanting things to move along. That nitpick aside, this is an enjoyable movie with mostly satisfying answers. I am giving Solo a Star Wars story 7 stars out of 10 with a solid recommend. 
Like I said, if you're a big fan of Star Wars, you'll probably love it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if uh, if that's the case, then won't be too big of most of these issues that you or I had may not be that big of a deal for you. Um, like I said, I would have loved to see more because this feels oddly too similar to Rogue One. Although there are improvements, uh, it's just too similar. There are things that I think the movie that Star Wars could do could go beyond what anybody ever thought. And for some reason, they're just not doing that. Um, anyways, maybe it's just turning into a Marvel, which would, I don't know how good that would be, but I think that they're on their way to do that. So, I mean, only time will tell, of course. I really think, like you said, you wanted more, and I did too in many ways, but I think for the first outing, they were keeping it mild. I think if they went too over the top, then it could have probably done more harm than good, because they would have been trying too hard. But I think for the first outing, they kept it mild, they kept the story simple, the connections made sense to me, so I'm thinking clearly with the introduction of Maul, with these characters going separate ways... Clearly, Han, uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca are going to Tatooine to deal with Jabba the Hutt. We're going to see that more in a movie. I don't think this is the end of the Solo movies. We're not going to just jump straight to episode four now. Clearly, they're setting it up for something much bigger, and I'm excited to see what they do. We are going to get a much bigger Solo movie, but I think they they were smart. They kept it more mild for the first outing. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and I'm I'm wouldn't doubt that that's what they would do. Uh, they're gonna have more later on, but I guess my biggest criticism is that they're giving the. This is a common thing that I'm beginning to say a lot more. I said this with Infinity War, uh, and I've said it a couple other times. Whatever review was, whatever reviews we've done, they're kind of just giving the audience what they want to see and not what they need to see. Instead of giving the audience something special, something that they could hold on to, it just feels too generic which is sad because star wars at least the original trilogy is just so they're all each each movie is very different from the last where now they're beginning to mesh in my mind they all kind of feel have very 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 similar tone structures and stuff like that i want to see something different i want to see something more i'm a big fan of star wars although i although the american style may not be my style i want and i want to see more i want to see them do something that you would never think that they would do. Instead, you're kind of giving me this, which is, I predicted almost the whole plot, especially when you told it to me in that one scene. Well, thank you, listeners, for coming out to join us on this solo, a Star Wars story adventure. We have a lot of great titles planned for this summer here on the podcast. We're going to be looking at uh, some movies you may never heard of. We're going to be looking at some classics such as Ghost in the Shell. We're going to be delving into some anime. We're going to also be delving into some more foreign films with uh, Suspiria and the films along that over at the YouTube channel. We will be doing a uh, weekend of release movies. We're going to be keeping up pace this summer with those and of course into the fall and winter. And then of course this fall we will be doing a review of the Godfather trilogy. We're really excited for that. And next month we will be kicking off our Patreon plan. So just for, you know, a couple bucks a month, you're going to get some exclusive content that I think you're really going to enjoy. The details will be forthcoming very soon. Like I said, it will be launching sometime next month, but make sure to be on the lookout for that. 
So make sure to subscribe through your favorite social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can sign up through email, through our website. That way you never miss anything we put out. Make sure to share this with your friends. Give us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Uh, we love discussing film and we love discussing it with you. So make sure to leave your comments below what you thought of Solo. What were your thoughts? Uh, make sure to stay away from spoilers though. So uh, we can... I'm, if you're listening to this podcast, it's too late. <laughs> well, yeah, that's technically true. Uh, just for those who haven't seen it though, give us more of your general thoughts, I would say. Yes. <laughs> than uh, any specific uh, like big reveals but regardless uh we want to hear from you so thank you once again for joining us sharing this with your friends and engaging with us we have a blast doing this and we look forward to seeing you next time